First chapter 32, I want to begin by reading the first seven verses. I tried to persuade the Lord to let me wait and preach this tonight because there is so much more to say than what I feel I have time for this morning, but if it goes into what you think is overtime, you can blame God for that, amen. Numbers 32, verse 1. Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of cattle, and when they saw the land of Jasar and the land of Gilead, that, behold, the place was a place for cattle. The children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spake unto Moses and to Eleazar the priest and to the princes of the congregation, saying, Ashtoreth and Dibon and Jazer and Nimrah and Heshbon and Eliah, Eliah and Shebam and Nebo and Beon, even the country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel, is a land for cattle, and thy servants have cattle. Wherefore, said they, if we have found grace in thy sight, let this land be given unto thy servants for a possession, and bring us not over Jordan. And Moses said unto the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war, and shall ye sit here? And wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord hath given them? Thus did your fathers when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. I miss the days of the old revival meetings that churches used to have. It was common for just about every Baptist church to have one or two or sometimes even more revival meetings during the course of the year. And one of my favorite parts of the revival meeting, other than the country ham for breakfast, was having morning services in addition to the evening service. And uh, throughout the years, especially in Kentucky and Tennessee and that area, uh, they carried on that tradition for a great many years. And I mention that because usually... In the morning services, I tried to preach a series of messages, and one of the most common, and my, I think my favorite, was to preach a series called From Egypt to Canaan. It's amazing how much you can learn about the New Testament from the Old Testament, and that's especially true of that story. It's a picture of slavery, salvation, and struggling, surrender, and spirituality. Well, when we come here to the 32nd chapter of Numbers, we find Israel at the Jordan River. This is the borderline of the Promised Land. And by the way, they've been here before, but they failed to enter. That sad event's recorded in Numbers chapter 13 and chapter number 14. And having failed on that occasion, now they have another opportunity. But there's another problem. That's just a commentary on life. 
another opportunity, but there's another problem. Now, the two and a half tribes, Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh, they want to settle on the east side of Jordan, that is on the wilderness side of Jordan. And uh, that's a problem common to man because it's evidence that they're more concerned about themselves than anything or anyone else. But as sad as this story is, it can be helpful in that it warns us of several different problems. Here in these first five verses I just read, the thing that stands out is that they had a desire to please self. And the very first verse of the chapter here is interesting because notice it's speaking about prosperity. But remember, they are yet in the wilderness and it talks about them having much cattle. They have prospered greatly. We can attribute all of that purely to the grace of God. There is no other explanation. And uh, what I do know is that prosperity can sometimes be a huge problem. And that's what we see here. They knew, according to God's promise, that in the promised land, it would be a land flowing with milk and honey. There would be an abundance of good things to enjoy. But they're yet in the wilderness, and yet these two and a half tribes in particular have prospered greatly, and their mind at this moment is upon material things. They're more concerned about prosperity than they are God's plan or God's people. And the problem with that problem is that it's, you know, contrary to what they thought, they didn't know what was best for them. They made the same mistake that Lot made. You'll remember whenever Lot and Abraham decided to go in different directions, and Lot looked out on those well-watered plains, and he thought, man, that's the place for business. You know, I'm going to move my family out there. I'm going in that direction. And so again, we see an example of someone that is thinking about material things to the point that they totally ignore the more important things in life. They, in other words, they wanted the blessing, but they didn't want the battle. You know, just let us stay on this side of Jordan. The rest of you can go on over into the promised land. And if you look on down in verse 16, 17, 18, and 19, you see that they finally, they finally proposed a compromise. They said to Moses, look, uh, since you don't think it's proper for us to remain here, we'll make a deal with you. We'll go over, we'll leave the women and the children here along with the cattle. They can look over the ranch and we'll send our warriors on over into the promised land to fight in the initial, the initial invasion of the promised land. And as soon as we get things settled there, then we're going to turn around and come back and we're going to live here. We're going to settle down on the east side. That's the wrong side of Jordan. In other words, we want to live on the edge. That's what I want to speak to you about this morning, living on the edge. We, we want to live here on the edge. We want to be in close enough proximity that we can enjoy the blessings of, you know, having our 
relatives just across the river, but we're over here in this place that's really good to raise cattle. Our business will prosper. And you all can go over there, and as they originally planned, you know, you can go to war, and we're going to stay here. So not only does it show here that their attention was focused solely upon themselves, but it shows a disinterest in others. Now, when they, whenever they, you know, made the compromise to, to go over and to fight, you look at that and maybe it seems to be noble, but in reality it just magnified their sorry attitude because they showed more concern for their cattle than they did for their children. Think about that. We want to stay on this side of Jordan because it's a great place to raise cattle. No mention of the fact that it's not the place to raise children. The children should have been in the place that God had appointed with the people of God doing the work of God. and But their interest is in what? Cattle. It all shows... You know, shows a concern for the lack of uh, lack of concern for the other tribes. Remember, they're going on, and uh, as a nation, as a whole. Now, these folks want to neglect that responsibility. Israel was to go in and possess the land and to divide the land up. In other words, there was a whole lot more to it than just the initial battle, just getting into the land. There was a lot of work to do, and they said, look, we're willing to, finally willing to go over and help you get in the land, win the battle, but we're going to turn around and come right back and live on the edge. So it's a disinterest in the welfare of others, but it is a disregard of God's plan. You know, as harmful as sin is to self, as harmful as sin can be to others, the worst thing about sin is that it is an offense against God. And the fact that they are contented living on the wrong side of Jordan shows they're not concerned about God's plan. In other words, they didn't want what God wanted. And that's a terrible, troublesome attitude. The promised land is right there before them, but they're content to live without it. That's a big problem today. There are too many borderline believers, too many people that are content just living on the edge. But remember, close doesn't count. We're not playing horseshoes. When the Lord spoke about those that would be His disciples, He said, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to forsake all and follow me. And yet, there are too many people content with things as they are when they're not as they should be. And that's the way it is with these folks. They have no interest in others. They disregard God's plan, but also they're doubtful of God's promises. Now, I don't want to leave the wrong impression. I don't want to minimize the challenge that these people face. I don't mean to imply that God's will is always easy. That's not the point. It's not easy. It's difficult. But difficulty of duty does not excuse us from it. There was more to this than just getting across Jordan. 
I mean, that was a, could be a chore. That was a fearful thing in itself because the Jordan would oftentimes swell out of its bank and flushing out the wild beasts from their hiding and flooding the low-lying areas and what have you. That, that's a problem in itself when you're talking about so many people. But, but there's more to it than that. They had to enter into conflict. There's going to be bloodshed. They had to conquer the enemy. They had to control the land. And the good thing about all of that is, is that God promised them that He would give them the victory and enable them to conquer the enemy, control the land, and enjoy their inheritance. God again and again promised them of that. And they're disregarding the promise of God here. God said, I'll give you the victory. He didn't say it's going to be easy, but I'll give you the victory. God requires effort on our part if we expect to, you know, to conquer the enemy and win the the victory. And over and over, he had promised them that they would inherit the land. Psalm 78 speaks about the fact that they had limited the holy God, the holy one of Israel. Can you imagine that scrawny little man putting limitations on Almighty God? And yet that is exactly what they were doing. And that's exactly what we do when we resist the will of God for our life. And maybe the, maybe the hardest lesson for a Christian to learn is the lesson of trusting God instead of our own reasoning. That's what they're depending upon. It'd be a whole lot better for us if we'd stay on this side of Jordan. We can stay near the borderline, live on the edge, and continue our prosperity of raising cattle. Depending upon their own reasoning. Some of the best advice you could ever give anyone is found in Proverbs 3 and verse 5 and 6. I've jotted that down on numerous cards and in Bibles over the years and and letters and things of that nature. Trust in the Lord with all of thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. That's a hard habit to break, isn't it? Lean not to thine own understanding. In all of thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. They're totally ignoring all of this. Peter said, according as his divine power hath given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Think about that. That by these ye might be partaker of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. In other words, to doubt what God has promised is not only an insult to God, it's iniquity to us because the Bible says whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So we're to live every day in the light of God's promises and according to God's precepts. And they're saying we refuse to live according to that standard. We're going to live on the edge. Notice verse 7, and here's the next warning. And that is where Moses says to them, and rightly so, Wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord hath given them? 
It's obvious in their request that they're thinking of nobody but themselves. They're unconcerned about others. They have ignored the welfare of the nation to pursue their own dreams. In other words, they have forgotten who they were. Who are these people? They are a part of a covenant nation. They are God's chosen people. They have no right to act independently of the nation. None whatsoever. God had ordained that each and every tribe have their particular place in the nation. And these decide we've got a different plan. That attitude in verse 6 and 7 met with the rebuke of Moses. Thank God for that. You know, he could have shrugged his shoulders and said, well, you know, if that's the way you feel about it, why, that, that's all right. If you really don't want to go, well, I don't even want you to go. Just, just stay where you are. Or he might have said, you know, that is really a brilliant idea. I think that's, that's the thing to do. You stay here and raise cattle. The rest of us will go on ahead. But he didn't. He shot both barrels at them. And he started by reminding them of their father's failure at Kadesh Barnea. The fact that they had been there before, you know the story. They sent the spies out into the land and they come back with a glowing report. Uh, Boy, they've got the grapes of escrow and here they've got all of these fruits to bring back from the promised land and Joshua and Caleb said it's time to go. But the other, the other spies said not so fast. There are giants in the land. And we're just like grasshoppers. They'll squash us. We don't stand a chance. And here is evidence that the majority is not always right. Amen. Whether it's in an election here in America or a church vote or whatever, the majority doesn't always get it right. And they got it wrong. The majority said, we're not going. Joshua and Caleb was ready to go. They believed the promise of God that we'll conquer them. We'll squash them under our feet. And so Moses here in our text is telling these folks, look, you're doing the same thing your fathers did. You haven't learned anything from their mistake. And that sort of reminds me of life so many times whenever we should learn from the mistakes of others that we really don't learn anything at all. Keep in mind, these people have been wandering there in the wilderness nearly 40 years. They could have been in the promised land in just a matter of a year or so. These very people have watched their relatives die in the wilderness. All of those 20 years and upward that died in the wilderness except Joshua and Caleb. All the rest of them have died. And now they're turning around and going to do the same foolish thing their fathers did. Oh, listen, if we would only consider how our attitude and our actions affect other people, it surely would make a big difference in what we do. 
There's another danger here, and that's the danger in stopping short. I want you to notice what happens next, because instead of seeing the error their way, when Moses said, you know, why should your brethren go to war? And ye sit here, why do you discourage your, your brethren? Instead of saying, oh, look, we, we just wasn't thinking straight. We got it all wrong. We are so sorry. Forget, forget what we just said. We're ready to go. You're right, Moses. Instead of doing that, they propose this compromise. We'll send the men over and they'll go help in the initial battle, but then if you let them come back, we'll send them over. Verse 20 is interesting because it tells us here that Moses granted permission. What all of us need to understand is that God has a perfect will and God has a permissive will. In other words, God does not force us to do what is right. He'll make us wish we did, but He doesn't force us to do what is right. God has given unto man a free will. We have the ability to choose what we're going to do. But the point is, just because God allows you to do something doesn't mean you ought to do it. So Moses says, look, all right, you know, I'll let you go as long as you promise that you'll come back and keep your promise of helping us, and then you can come back to your people. On another occasion, this speaks over in Psalms 116 about the fact that that it says, God granted their request but sent leanness in their soul. God allowed them to do what they wanted to do, but it was a costly proposition. And it always is when we refuse to follow God's plan. It's going to cost us somewhere down along the line. And notice the results, and I'm just going to mention two. There are a lot of things that maybe could be mentioned, but there are two things And as I said, we have the ability to make our own decisions. We can choose what we'll do, but we cannot choose the consequences. We make the choices, but God decides the consequences. So Moses says, all right, if that's what you want to do, have at it. Two big problems with that. Number one, they raised their children on the wrong side of Jordan. God's plan was for them to settle in the promised land, not the wilderness side, but they thought they knew better than God. So they just totally ignored the will of God. The question is, what side are you living on? Are you trying to live on the edge That raises another question. What do your children see? Have they seen you stop walking with God? Have they witnessed you living on the wrong side? Near the edge? No complete devotion on your part. You're just going to stay there near the edge. And whenever we do that, we make them vulnerable to... to, 
to danger. Because the natural tendency is for us to follow in the steps of those that have gone before. That's, that's what they're doing. Moses said, you're doing exactly as your fathers did, making the same mistake, putting limitations on God and depriving yourself of blessings, and now you're going to raise your children on the wrong side of Jordan. I know it's real easy to get discouraged because of something and decide that you're going to just, well, you're going to just drop out of church. You don't like it anymore. You you know, whatever it is that offended you, you've just decided to drop out. You better stop and think about the consequences. You better stop and think about the effect that it'll have on your children. They're watching. The second problem that we see here is that these tribes, these two and a half tribes, were the first ones to fall to the Assyrians. Whenever judgment was decided that needed to fall upon the children of Israel and God was sending the Assyrians as a, as a whip in His hand, so to speak, to punish them for their sins, in First Chronicles chapter number 5, it tells the story. And these were the first tribes to fall. We reap what we sow. And that's what we see here. Their choice put their children in grave danger. And now their children are suffering as a result of their foolishness. Before any of the other tribes, these two and a half tribes were destroyed by the enemy. doesn't pay to live on the edge, folks. Where are you living this morning? What side of the river are you on? It might be that you're standing right there at your Jordan right now, and you need to decide what you're going to do. And hopefully this story will be a lesson to you. Think about it. They're confronted with a choice. They're cringing at the thought of the difficulty involved. They're clinging to that which seemed to be the most profitable. They're cowardly. They're compromising. They're content with less than the best. And they're close. But close doesn't count. And now all of these years have passed by and it's your turn. And you're standing there at a crossroads, you're standing there on the edge and you need to decide what you're going to do. We need to make it clear what side we're on. The Bible tells us that we're to be blameless, not aimless, but blameless. In other words, we need to get off of the edge and make it obvious to others what side we're on, where we stand, what we value. You'll remember that whenever Moses had given the law to Israel and he comes down with the law there in his hands and he looks out there at the children of Israel dancing around a golden calf. What a sad sight that was. And he challenged them. He drew a line in the sand, so to speak. And he got on one side and said, 
choose which side you're going to be on. You're going to come and stand on this side with me or are you going to stand against me, against God? The decision was made and the next thing he said was for those that were standing for the right, buckle on your swords. And they turned around and slaughtered those that refused. Now that was the means that God devised to punish those who stood against Him in that day. And make no mistake about it. God is still the same as He was in that day. And He uses other means, but none of us sin successfully. Some folks just love living on the edge, maybe the edge of temptation. But if you're living on the edge of temptation, according to God's standard, you've already gone over the edge. Whenever the Lord rebuked the Pharisees in that day in regards to the matter of adultery, and of course they said, well, yeah, the law says thou shalt not commit adultery. Of course, they thought it was all right to stand out on the street corner in their long roads making their pretentious prayers and trying to attract all of the attention they could and looking at the chicks as they strutted by. Ain't nothing wrong with that. And Jesus said, yeah, you've committed adultery already in your heart. You think you're living on the edge, but really you're not. You've gone over the edge of my standard. And when God demands our Total devotion. That's exactly what he expects. You think you're living on the edge when in reality you've already gone over the edge. I realize that I've been speaking about God's people. Israel represented God's people. We've been speaking in reference to Christians and the need for them to get off of the edge and get on the right side and let it be known that they're on God's side. But if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior, you need to understand that you're living on the very edge of eternity. If you're unsaved, you're living on the very edge of hell itself. If you put your hand on your heart, unless you've got a bad, bad problem, we'll call the ambulance, but put, do it. Feel anything? You know what that is? If you're unsaved... That's the drum beat of your heart beating a, a death march to the grave and to hell. And you're only one heartbeat away from a devil's hell. Why would you walk out of here today? You see, these people that had resisted God's plan said, Look, Moses, we'll make a deal with you. We're willing, if you'll let us leave the women and children and the cattle here, we'll send the men over there to help you get across the river and into the land. But you've got to, you've got to let us stay here. Then let the men return. 
That was an act of presumption, folks. They are presuming that they would make it out of the battle and be able to come back. And they are presuming that even if they make it out of the battle and come back, they're presuming that their women and children and cattle will still be there. That's pure presumption. And if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior, maybe you're thinking, well, I've got plenty of time for that. Or you're thinking, I want to investigate this matter more fully or... I'm just not ready yet. You are just presuming that you'll have another opportunity. Today is the day of salvation. This could be your very last chance. You say, well, preacher, I don't think you'll try to scare people. Well, like one preacher said years ago, who are you going to scare them to? Hell number one or hell number two? Uh, hell is hell. And uh, yeah, I'm. I want, if you're not saved, I want you to be frightened. You ought to be frightened. We're talking about reality. And the reality is, as Jesus said, he that believeth not is what? Condemned already. Oh, it's not a matter of standing before God and Him weighing your good against your bad because you don't have any good. None of us do, not by nature. The condemnation has already been decided in the very moment you die without Christ. Then it's a time for your your eternal sentence. Get off the edge this morning and come to Jesus. And if you're a Christian that you've been living your life on the edge. Oh yeah, you haven't quit attending church, but you're just on the edge. You're on the verge. You haven't really stopped doing anything in church, but for all practical purposes, you're maybe just going through the motions. I'm really convinced that when unbelievers see us get more serious about serving God, they'll think more seriously about their need of salvation. Will you get off the edge this morning? Get on the right side. Raise your family there or you'll lose them. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you, Lord, for the instruction that we receive from your word. And as we think back to this ancient story, I pray that you'll impress upon our heart that this is not just a lesson in history. It's not just telling us about the horrible failure of a, of a people in antiquity. But Lord, it's a story about us. And I pray this morning that you'll help each one of us to examine our hearts. And may the Holy Spirit reveal to us those, those faults, those inconsistencies the reluctance that we might have in our heart to give ourselves fully to to your plan for our life. I pray you'll speak to hearts today, save souls, change lives, and more than anything else, that you'll be glorified. God, help us to help us to not limit what you want to do in our lives. May we remove all of the barriers and get rid of all of the shackles that hold us back. 
and come to Jesus this morning for we pray in His name. Now as we stand together and while we sing, maybe the Lord is whispering in your ear, it's time to get off the edge and on the right side. Would you come? Come on, right now. Oh.